It is so good to see your faces out here. <laughs> Welcome back. Well, did it did it rain a little bit where you were at last night? Yeah, we got dumped on. I, I found myself in the middle of the night wondering if my gutters were plugged. You know, I thought about it yesterday afternoon when it was just kind of drizzling a little bit. And everything looked good in the middle of the afternoon with just a little bit of light rain. But, but here's reality. It's when the storm comes that we find out how things really are. Isn't that true? It's when the storm comes that you find out what kind of roof you have. Whether, whether we're talking about waking up to six feet of snow to find out whether your roof is strong or not, or, or maybe... It's when that 70 mile per hour gust comes through and you find out just how well the shingles were laid down. It's when the storm comes that we find out the reality of how good things are. And the same thing is true for us. The same thing is true for us as people and it's true for us as followers of Christ. It's a storm this shows the reality of who we are. It's, it's when things go badly, when, when stress begins to increase, when, when fear begins to rise up, and that's when we find out how solid our foundation really is. That's when we find out whether our Christian walk is a facade or a genuine transformation. It's when the storm comes. Here's what I'm saying. I can tell you all day that I am committed to turning the other cheek, but it doesn't mean anything until I get slapped. Isn't that true? Isn't that true? And I can tell you all day that I am fully committed to be an ambassador for Christ. But until being an ambassador for Christ prevents me from living for myself, it really doesn't mean anything. You and I, we find ourselves right now in the midst of a pretty substantial storm, don't we? A storm that is testing us in so many different ways. It's testing our love for each other, for some of us. It is testing our ability to hold our tongue, right? <laughs> and some of us are failing at that. It's testing how good our, how strong our focus on and our commitment to the Lord's kingdom is. How, how committed are we to being focused on and giving ourselves to God's kingdom when our little world begins to crumble? What it's really doing is testing our ability to trust the Lord or to turn pages. This morning, we're going to look at John chapter 15. And there, in John chapter 15, Jesus clearly lays out for us what it is that we are to be about as followers of Christ. What we're to be about as, as Christians, whether the weather is fair or foul, whether the storm is raging or the sun is shining, this is to be what we're about, who we are what we do. 
It's a passage that I think most of us will find very familiar. And yet, I think it's a message that the church in our day seems to have forgotten. Let's do this. Let's read these first verses from John chapter 15. When you find that in your Bible, will you do this? Will you stand with me out of respect for the fact that this is God's word? This is what he speaks to us. I'll read, you can follow along. John chapter 15, beginning in verse one, Jesus is speaking. He says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes. And he prunes every branch that produces fruit so that it will produce more fruit. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me and I in you. Just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown aside like a branch and he withers. They gather them, throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. My father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, I also loved you. Remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. This is my command. Love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this to lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants anymore because servants don't, doesn't know what his master is doing. I've called you friends because I have made known to you everything I have heard from my father. You did not choose me but I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce fruit and that your fruit should remain so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. This is what I command you. Love one another. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we are here together this morning. God, thank you that you are here with us, amongst us, amidst us. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. And God, I pray that by the work of your Holy Spirit that you would take what you have spoken to us here and that you'd teach us. You'd help us to understand, to see correctly and God, to know how to respond to you from this, Lord. God, I pray that, that you would do the work that only you can do here this morning. God, that you would change us. Father, we give you this time. We give you ourselves and we ask, Lord, that you would work. 
We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. It's certainly not my intention this morning to give a thorough teaching on this passage, but rather I want us to consider what it is that it says in the context of what the Lord has called us to be all about. This passage, uh, much like that one that we call the Great Commission, it's a statement by Jesus, by Jesus um, regarding what it is that you and I as followers of Christ are supposed to be doing, how it is that we are supposed to be expending our lives, what our purpose in being here is. I want you to remember this as we look at this passage. What Jesus says here, he says to his disciples, and he says it just before he is taken from them, just before he is arrested and then crucified. You see, Jesus knows that, that things are about to get crazy for his disciples. He, he knows that there is a storm that is coming. And so in order to, to keep his followers from getting distracted, in order to keep them from getting sideways in the midst of the chaos that is coming, Jesus takes this moment to remind them one more time what it is that they're to be about. And so here in John 15, Jesus says this, you're to be producing fruit. You and I, we are to be producing fruit. Now, now think about this. Think about what Jesus is saying here. I've got some fruit trees in my backyard and I'm fairly confident of this. The apple trees are supposed to produce apples and the pear trees are supposed to produce pears. This is how it works. And so I think it is only logical for us to conclude then that as disciples, what are we supposed to produce? Disciples. Disciples. You know, it's funny because I think quite often we miss that answer. We miss that answer. We, we take this thing, this fruit that we're supposed to produce, and we generalize it and we make it this broad target to the point that we almost end up saying, hey, Jesus just wants you to be a nice person most of the time. I mean, there's a few times when you can just, you know, because it's, it's justified. On a really bad day, you can be a grump. But most of the time, Jesus just wants you to be a pleasant human being. No. No. Oh, yes, he does want you to be a pleasant human being. But way more than that. Well, what scripture tells us, what Jesus tells us is that what he wants is for us to make disciples, not even just converts, but disciples. In Matthew 28, that passage that we call the Great Commission, Jesus tells his disciples this, and this is right before he ascends to heaven. It's after the crucifixion, after the resurrection, the it's a bit like Jesus' last words to his disciples, though he continues to speak to them. But he says, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I've commanded you. Friends, 
our job, our task, the thing that we are here for is not just to live our lives. It isn't just to be good and moral. It's to make disciples of Jesus. It's to, to make disciples of Jesus. And here in John 15, that is, that's what Jesus is talking about. And let's take a look at the passage there, beginning in verse one. Jesus says this, I am the true vine. My father is the gardener. Every branch that's you and me in me that does not produce fruit, he that is the gardener removes. And he prunes every branch that does produce fruit so that it will produce more fruit. Jesus says that you and I, we're, we're like a grapevine. We're like any fruit-bearing perennial. Our purpose, our job is to bear fruit. The one who planted us and who tends us intended for us to bear fruit. And he cares for us. He tends us in a way that will cause us to bear even more fruit. See, God's purpose is for you and I to bear fruit, to bear a lot of fruit. And the fruit that we're to bear, not apples, not pears, disciples. Have you ever wondered why God doesn't seem to be as invested in your prosperity and ease, at least not as invested in that as the TV preachers always tell you he is? You ever, you ever notice that? Have you ever wondered why it is that God's word talks so much about obeying his commands and connecting with him and loving others and, and really just doesn't talk that much about being healthy, prosperous, or having fun all the time? It could be that God has designed us for something greater than merely living for ourselves. It could be that God wants something more from us, something more significant from us than just living an enjoyable life, that he wants us to bear fruit, to make disciples. Have you noticed that the Lord is willing to discipline us, to prune us? Hebrews chapter 12, there in verse six, it tells us the Lord disciplines the ones he loves. The Lord disciplines the ones he loves. In other words, he is willing to prune us, to shape us, and even to bring hardship into our lives in order to make us more capable, uh, more useful, more fruitful. And so at times he does, he prunes us, right? He cuts back the dead wood. Those areas of our life that are dead, they're not producing any fruit. And so God will cut them out or those areas that are diseased. You know, I've got a, a birch tree that's got something in it, some bug in it that's just ravaging that thing. And it's just a matter of time. I've been cutting it back bit by bit. But very soon, the ax is going to have to fall at the base. I've, I've got I've to cut back that part that is diseased or I'll lose the whole thing. And I haven't been aggressive enough Aren't you glad that God is aggressive in cutting back the disease in our lives? 
that he is willing to discipline us in order to save us. Pruning can be painful. But let me tell you this, pruning also brings new, healthier growth. It's when we get pruned by the Lord that the new fruit begins to appear. He calls us to stay connected to him because it's through that connection with him that he cleanses us or prunes us. He gives us his pruning words, if you will. Has the Lord done that with you? Has the Lord spoken to you from his word or maybe in a message or, or maybe just in a time of prayer, he's brought conviction to your heart, but it's been like he's pruned you with words. He's addressed you. Look at what it says there in verse three. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me and I in you. Just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. It's his word that prunes us. And it's his word that produces fruit within us. Think about this. Understand this. What Jesus clearly says here is that this purpose that God has given us, this, this bearing of fruit, this making of disciples, it is something that we are unable to do unless we are connected to him. We've got to be connected to the Savior. We've got to be willing to allow him to clean us, to prune us, or we can't do the very thing for which we were made. In other words, our purpose, our, our calling in life is something that we can't do unless we are willing to submit ourselves to the Lord. We've got to let him prune things out of our lives. We've got to let him speak cleaning words to us and respond to him when he does. You know, it's interesting that the main point of this analogy that Jesus makes with the vine and the branches is our dependence upon him and the priority of our connection to him. More than any other analogy that Jesus chooses for our relationship with him, it's the, the picture of the vine and the branches that, that prioritizes that connection with him. Even, even comparing us to sheep and their shepherd or to children and their father, there is a stronger dependence for the branch and the vine. We are absolutely dependent upon the Lord to be able to do the thing that we were made by him to do. We can't do it without him. We can't do it if we are not connected to him. And so what do people do? Well, in a desire for self-sufficiency, for independence, rebellion, we find other things. 
because we can't do the thing that God has called us to do unless we stay in a place of submission to him. We find other things to give ourselves to. Uh, some people give themselves to doing good deeds. They're just a good person and they do good things. Other people give themselves to hobbies or they binge on entertainment. Uh, some strive for wealth or, or, or for success others for pleasure or maybe for good reputation, maybe even for knowledge. But all of those things, as King Solomon tells us in Ecclesiastes, all of those things are worthless in the end. Listen to what King Solomon says after having spent himself in pursuit of these sorts of things. He says, all that I had accomplished and what I had labored to achieve, I found everything to be futile and a pursuit of the wind. Think about that, a pursuit of the wind. You can chase the wind, can't you? But you will never catch it. You will never grab hold of the wind. And what Solomon is saying is you can, you can try to find fulfillment in fame and popularity, you can try to find fulfillment in entertainment or in pleasure, even in knowledge. But you'll never catch it. You'll never get it. It's all worthless because it's not what we were made for. Anything that we can do on our own, anything we can do without God's help, it's not gonna fulfill us because more than just the task, we were made to be a branch to the vine. Understand that. Understand that. God calls us to do something that we can't do on our own because what we need more than anything else is to have a connection with him where we are completely dependent upon him. So those who follow that route of independence, their lives end up like a brush fire. Now listen to what Jesus says in verse six. If anyone does not remain in me, he's thrown aside like a branch and he withers. They gather them, throw them into the fire and they are burned. I don't want that for my life. I don't know about you, but I don't want that for my life. I don't want the only evidence that I've been here to be a scorch mark and some ashes. I want there to be fruit. When I've come and gone, when my day is past, I want there to be more than ashes because I was here. I want there to be fruit and fruit that abides, that stays. And if that's what you want to, look at verse seven. Jesus tells us how to get there. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. My father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. Now, this passage, it's not just a blank check for your every wish as some take it to be. And notice the context here. Jesus is speaking to his disciples. He is 
speaking to those who are submitted to him and who are seeking his will, to those who remain in him and in whom his word remains. He says, if you remain in me and if my word remains in you, in other words, if you will submit yourself to Christ, if you will obey him, if you will allow his words to shape you, then you will receive what you ask for, he says, because what you ask for will have been shaped by him. You'll be asking for the thing that he wants. And what God wants, what glorifies the Lord is when his passion becomes our passion. Do you get that? What God wants is for you and me to become passionate about that thing that he is passionate about. And, and what God is passionate about is lost, rebellious, sinful people like you and me coming to salvation. What God is passionate about is people who are in rebellion against him coming to salvation and laying down their lives just as he laid down his. God was so passionate about this that he put on human flesh, right? You understand this. And he bore our sin upon the cross. What Romans 5.8 tells us is that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He gave up his life in order to rescue us. You know, there are a lot of things that we can spend our lives on. There's a lot of good things that we can do with our lives. There's many ways that we can glorify God. But the main thing, the, the thing that is to be the main fruit of our lives, the thing that God is passionate about, the thing that he has called us to, commanded us to, is to, to make disciples. Well, we serve the Lord in many ways. As sometimes we serve people. As sometimes we teach the word. Sometimes we lead worship. But even when we do those things, the main task, the, the point of those things is that we would make disciples. The real work of the ministry, the thing that worshiping and teaching and serving are supposed to support and encourage and enable and strengthen is the making of disciples. Everything else that we do should be aimed at that. Everything else that we do should strengthen that our connection with the Lord so that we might do that thing to which he has called us, that thing that he has commissioned us to do. And here's what's amazing. If we do that, as we do that, we come to know God's love for us in a way that is richer and deeper and fuller than we have ever known it before. Look at verse nine. As the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Remain in my love. 
If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. And now think about this. Think about what is said here. Think about who is saying it. Hey, well, it isn't Judas saying, as the Father has loved me. It isn't Peter saying, as the Father has loved me. It's Jesus. It's Jesus saying, just as much as the Father has loved me, that's how much I've loved you. That's how much I've loved you. Can you imagine how much the Father loves the Son? I mean, I'm pretty irritating. It's, it amazes most people that I'm married and that my wife loves me. She isn't just trapped, I don't think. Oh, well, maybe so, I don't know. But you know, Jesus... He's easy to love. He laid down his life for you. He gave it all. Can you imagine how much the father loves him? Uh, the father's love for the son, it's perfect. It's immeasurable. It, it, it's, it's really beyond our ability to comprehend. And, and Jesus says that he loves us in that same way, and that we begin to know that love as we obey his commands. As we submit ourselves to him, we begin to experience his love for us. As we remain in him, as his word remains in us, as we submit to him and allow his word to rule us, that is when we begin to experience the reality, not just the theological concept of the overwhelming and incomprehensible love of God for us. It was just a little bit earlier in John chapter 14 that Jesus said this to his disciples, the one who has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. And the one who loves me will be loved by the Father and I also will love him and will reveal myself to him. Do you lack a real sense of God's love for you? Let me ask you this. Is there unrepentant sin in your life? Is there an area that you, you just refuse to surrender? Turn it over. Turn it over. Let it go. Stop arguing with God about it. Stop justifying what you know to be wrong. Just confess it as sin and remain in his love. And you will begin to experience and to know the love of God in a way that you have never before even imagined. Verse 11. I've told you these things so that my joy may be in you, and your joy may be complete. This is my command, love one another as I've loved you. No one has a greater love than this to lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. Friends, obeying God is not a burden. Hey, loving each other isn't a burden. You know, sometimes you, you catch yourself saying this, well, I know we got to love them. Really? 
It's like saying, yeah, we got to give him a dental cleaning. Well, that'd be uncomfortable, but okay. But we talk about it, that we've got to love people as if it's a burden. It's a gift. It's a gift. God's commands are not a heavy weight for us. God's commands are a gift. They protect us. They shield us from harm. They free us from slavery, from captivity, and from destruction. Jesus said this. He said, my yoke is light. My burden isn't heavy. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. When I submit to him, what Jesus is saying is I'll carry the weight. He says, you submit to me and I'll carry the weight. You see, it's in God's presence, as, as David says in Psalm 16, that we find real joy. Listen to what David says. He says, you reveal the path of life to me. Now think about what that means, the path of life. God shows David, this is the way to go. This is the way I want you to walk, David. This is the way of rebellion and sin, but I want you to go this way. I want you to walk in this path of righteousness. David says, you show me that path and he says, in your presence is abundant joy. Not a bummer, abundant joy. And your right hand our eternal pleasures. Sometimes we, we approach it as if, well, I know I got to do the right thing. <sighs> oh, I know I got I to, you know, keep God's commands. What a bummer. No. No, God's commands are the doorway to joy and to eternal pleasures. Oh, there is, there is pleasure that comes from sin for a season. For a season, it's just the candy coating on the outside of that bitter pill. But the way to true pleasure that lasts, that comes from walking in the path of righteousness. That comes from submitting ourselves. It comes from loving others instead of loving ourselves. It comes from loving them, not just in general, not just a bit, but loving them like Jesus loved us. Jesus tells us that he wants us to love each other like he loved us and that there is no greater love than this, that a man would lay down his life for his friends. Now we get that about Jesus, don't we? When we think of the love of Jesus, we think of the cross. That, that's easy, isn't it? it, it it's, it's so easy to see that and to understand that, that Jesus gave up life. He gave up his life in order to love us. Do you get what he's calling us to do? Do you get what he's calling us to do when he says, I want you to love others like I've loved you? Jesus is saying, I want you to give up living your life. I want you to give up living for yourself. I want you to give up your life in order to instead bring others to the freedom that you've found in Christ. To make disciples. 
to make disciples of Jesus and not just to, to live our life and, and, and fit in some gospel sharing where we can and not just to, to be a moral and a good example to others, but to live our lives for the purpose of rescuing others out of their lostness. Making disciples is what we do. Loving is how we do it. Jesus says that we prove to be his disciples by making disciples, by bearing fruit. In another place, it says that the world will know we are his by our love, right? By our love. Our, our task is to make disciples, our trademark is to love others. If we forget either one of these, we get terribly messed up. If we make disciples, but we do it without love, we become arrogant, legalistic, rule-making masters. But if we love others and fail to make them disciples... We are just making life pleasant for people as they head into the fire. <laughs> We've got to do both. What we do is we make disciples. How we do it is we love people. Verse 15, Jesus says, I do not call you servants anymore because a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. I've called you friends because I have made known to you everything I have heard from my father. Now, now this just overwhelms me. I think there are times that we read passages of scripture and they go right over our heads. I don't think we even comprehend what it says there. God Almighty in human flesh, the incarnate Savior just says, you are my friend. You're my friend. If you will make my passion your passion, if you will give yourself to this thing that I've called you to, you're not just a servant. You're my friend. That overwhelms me. He has shared with us his desire, his objective. He's called us to it. He's invited us, commanded us to join him in this loving pursuit of the souls of men and women. To tell them about the Savior, to baptize them, to teach them, to obey him, to, to make disciples. And when we do, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, we become God's co-workers or as Jesus says here, we become his friends. That's what he wants. That's what he's called us for. Look at verse 16. You didn't choose me, but I chose you. I appointed you, and here's why. To go and produce fruit, that your fruit should remain, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. This is what I command you, love one another. Dear friends, this is the Savior's plan for us. 
This is his plan for us. Not just that we would live good, moral, upstanding lives, but that we would live our lives to make disciples. And not just to make converts, to make disciples, to make those who would then in turn make disciples. That we would lay down our life in order to invest in and to care for and to teach and to encourage those who would then turn around and do it again. That we would bear fruit with seeds in it. You ever think about seedless grapes or seedless watermelon? It's kind of a dead-end thing. I mean, and I, I like not having seeds in my food. I mean, that's good. But for the grape, it's not a great plan. For the watermelon, it's a dead end. You see, if, if I just make a convert, if I just make a moral person, I've made something that's sterile and unable to reproduce. But what we're to do is to bear fruit, fruit with seeds in it. That's his passion. That's God's passion, is that none would perish, but all would come to salvation. And that he would do that through us. That we would be disciples in that we would make disciples. But you know what? That's not something that we're going to be able to do just because we decided, boy, he talked a lot about disciples. I guess I should do that. You know, It's just like, okay, I guess it's just another thing I'm supposed to do. We don't have the ability. It's going to have to be a work of God within us. Uh, that's what Jesus has clearly said, is that on our own, we can't. But as we abide in him, as his word abides in us, as God prunes us and shapes us and works in us, he can make us a fruitful vine. Man, that's what I want for me. I hope it's what you want for you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you that you have given us a purpose in this life that is more than just staying out of trouble. <laughs> God, you have given us the greatest privilege, the greatest honor, the greatest task that we could be given. to follow in our Savior's footsteps, to lay down our lives, to instead of living for self, to, to be disciples, to be ambassadors. Lord, for that to be the goal, the purpose, the reason for our living. God, we don't have that in us. Uh, left to ourselves, we'll just turn this into a bit more guilt. <laughs> a bit more failure. We need you to work through the power of your Holy Spirit to change us, to connect us more solidly to you. Lord, that we would abide in you and that your word would abide in us. 
and that you would begin to produce fruit in us. God, I pray for you to do that. I pray for you to begin something great here in us. That the lost would be saved. The saved would be awakened. And that you would be glorified. Pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.